You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bones, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bones. Um, we're reading from Philippians 4 verses 1 to 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintaich to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, it's, um, well, good morning, first of all. <laughs> it's really lovely to see you all. I'm always just blessed when everything comes together without having to work for it. And what I mean is that this morning, like Simon and I didn't communicate over what my message would be today. Uh, and yet I think every song that we have sung profoundly speaks into this. Um, and also the scripture that John read, like, we'll come to that as well, and I hadn't spoken with John about that scripture being part of this today. I really believe that God is in the house. I believe that's true, whether we feel it or not, on an everyday basis, but, but sometimes I really sense that God is wanting to do something and to move. Uh, and so as we've been singing, this is my surrender, can we apply that in our hearts uh, and surrender? What does that mean? It, it means a complete capitulation. It means a total laying down of our weapons, of our arms, of our strategies. A complete white flag moment. Faces bowed down. Complete handover to another power. Submission to that authority. That is what I encourage you to do in your hearts. And the reason is this. The kingdom that you surrender, i.e. your own, is only going to hurt you but the kingdom that you surrender to is only going to heal you and help you. So here we are, and uh, we're back into Philippians 4. For those of you that have been here for the last few years, you're probably thinking, thank you, Lord. Finally, we've got to the final chapter. How long does it take a pastor to go through four chapters? Well, like, this began... Okay, here's some facts for you. The 21st of September uh, in 2021. Okay, that's when I did my first message in, in Philippians. There's been 39 messages on Philippians in that, which is 21 and a half hours if you're so inclined to go to the podcast and listen to that, or, or 1,200 minutes uh, of listening, which I think is a brilliant thing to do. So just go enjoy yourselves, have a lovely week, and listen to all those podcasts. Uh, <laughs> the themes are incredible in Philippians, and we've, we've covered things like humility. Well, that's essential in surrender. We've talked about freedom in Christ, and weirdly, that comes from surrender to Christ, is freedom. We're not free when we're living in our own kingdom. We are free when we surrender to his kingdom. We've talked about grace, the fact that this is freely given, undeserved. We've talked about joy. 
that all of this really encourages joy in our hearts. We've talked about our partnership, our co-laboring, our mutual working together for the cause of the kingdom. And we've talked about Christ's example and the fact that that is the example we should be living towards but empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is about living in the light of the wonderful news about Jesus Christ, the Savior, and the work that he has done, the work that he is doing, and the work that he will complete in us. That is Philippians. So today, let's begin chapter four. Have that open if you've got a Bible on your phone or a physical Bible. If not, things will come up on the screen as well. I'm only going up to Easter with this message and it's only gonna be six messages long to finish this, uh, this wonderful book. And in this opening gambit to Paul's kind of final thoughts, his final paragraphs, if you like, with much affection, Paul is focused on how they are standing. And so I wanna start by asking today, how are you standing? Squarely or barely? Upright or uptight? Strong or wrong? Perhaps even strong but wrong. You know, what do I mean by that? That's possible. It's possible to stand strong but wrong. If we're standing pridefully or arrogantly or if we're standing in a false way, you know, there's a lot of teaching into body language and posture that, that would say, like, carry yourself well and then people will, will see you as a confident person and this will open doors and, and things like that. And so there's this kind of falsehood around sort of the phrase fake it until you make it. And I think we've all been there and we've all done it. We've all walked into that job day one and inside we're kind of melting, but on the outside we're like, yeah, good morning everyone. And we're projecting something that isn't true. And that's standing strong but wrong. You know, when we come into church on a Sunday morning and our life is crumbling away and we feel like we just want to find a corner to cry in, and, and yet people are like, how are you? Oh yeah, fine, how are you? You know, this is strong but wrong. Because it's, it's not real. You know, Elton John, you know, talks about, uh, I'm still standing, looking like a true survivor. And, and there's a kind of pridefulness to this. Look at me. I'm still standing. Look at you. And look at me. I'm still standing. That's kind of prideful. So what does it mean to stand firm? And actually, there is a Greek word that's worth mentioning here, which is uh, it's from the root, istemi, which means stand. That would make sense, wouldn't it? But this version of that word is actually pronounced like stego, stego, stego. Should I stay or should I go? If I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, it will be doubled. You have to be a child of the sort of 80s and 90s to get that reference there. But in this word, there is a sense of active intransitive. Now that sounds a bit like what the heck. It means to be deliberately unmoved. Like actively, I'm not moving anywhere. 
And so it's kind of being steady or stable or strong. In other words, don't be moved by every wind or whinge or whine. In other words, don't give up. Don't relinquish territory. Don't shift like shadows. Don't flap about like a tent in the wind. But be unmoved. And and you know, the opposite of to stand is probably, I would say, to fall. Would you agree? The opposite of to stand is to fall. And there's a famous classic saying, which is going to come up here, and it is this. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I think there's great truth in that. But I think if you just take that on the surface and apply it to whatever, then it's dangerous. Because what we stand upon matters. So yes, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for any little argument. But don't just pick any argument to make your stand on. Make sure you stand on something that is true and firm, rock solid. To stand strong for the wrong thing is to stand wrong. So don't be a fool and fool for the wrong thing. So what should we stand for? Well, here we go. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, this will come up. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. Ancient words of explicit relevance today. Do not let go of these teachings. Stand firm and hold fast and they will see you through. And this is going to become more and more important as this history progresses until the day Jesus returns. This isn't coming up, but in 1 Timothy, he says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Listen to this. Deceiving spirits taught by demons. Now, you, you might be sitting there this morning going, but I haven't seen any demons teaching anywhere. Like, I mean, what do you think they'd do? Like, wear a lanyard? <laughs> Or have a uniform, or kind of stand up and say, hey guys, I'm a demon, I'm just going to teach you some things now. Demons, the, the, the powers of hell, the powers and principalities, they infiltrate, they imitate, they mimic, they look like angels of light, they subvert, they mislead, and they're very, very good at it. And so we need to know what is true and stand on that so that we're unmoved. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So we've got to be on our guard, church. When Paul says stand firm, that's what he's saying. Be on your guard. So armor up and stand firm. And then when you've done all of this, Stand. If you look at Ephesians 6, Paul talks about this spiritual battle that we're in. You know, we are not in a battle. We're not in a battle with people. We're in a battle with powers and principalities. We need to love people, 
But we need to see the arguments and the things in that that come from a dark place. And we need to know what we can stand strong on. Ultimately, Paul is saying this is how to endure and finish on our feet. Like, you remember the, what are the brothers called? The, the marathon triathlon brothers? Yes, you remember one of them carrying the other across the finish line. Wonderful. We are here to help each other finish on our feet. And we might feel that we got no strength left in our legs, but because we're a church and because we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to finish on our feet. Because even if everyone else abandons us, when it comes to that moment, Christ will stand for us and we will finish on our feet. I mean, how? This is an important thing. Have you ever seen the movies? And like, actually, I really like the, the series 24 with Jack Bauer. I don't know, any of you, do you know Jack Bauer? And there's almost every episode, he gets wounded in a multitude of ways. And you're just thinking, how the heck are you still standing? Have you ever thought that in the movies? How is that guy still standing? And actually, every giant will fall physically. And this is true. You, you remember in Gladiator, there was that big German guy. And I, John, give me your best German. <laughs> no, you give me your Arnie. Do it, do it now. Exactly. And it's like, it's, it's like a first century version of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's that big German guy, Gladiator. And when he actually succumbs to the battle, it's, it's an amazing scene where the Praetorian Guard have stormed the, the place where the gladiators are staying. And he takes like 20 million arrows to the chest and he's still kind of plodding on and like hacking people down. And, but even he falls. So how will you and I stand firm and finish on our feet? How is that possible? Because I'm not a hero. And Paul gives us some great pointers and some great encouragements They're right here in the text. I love it. So how do we stand firm? There's two things that we see in the text immediately. The first is in the Lord. And the second thing is in this way. And so let's spend a moment, let's look at in the Lord, because this is key. Like, seriously, this is key. I.e., not in my strength. In the Lord. Though those who search for themselves will renew their strength, no. They who carve out some me time will renew their strength, no. Those who earn enough those who live their best life now, they will renew their strength. No, we know that it is those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So wait and stand firm in the Lord, not in my ingenuity, not in my realizing my ambitions or my dreams in my life, not in my accumulation of wealth or financial security, not in my righteousness. And not in my excellent religious observance, but in the Lord. This is not my goodness perceived, it's his goodness received. Freely and undeserved. Stand firm in grace. And this is what John just read, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore... 
Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace. We stand in his grace. That's how we keep standing when we want to fall over. And it's not that we're excused from responsibility here. We have to stand consciously and willfully and deliberately. But we stand not on our own merit, but in his strength. We make the choice to stand. He gives us the power to stand. And and so here we are, my way equals the wrong way, but his way equals the strong way. So how do we stand firm? Second thing, in this way. Well, in what way? Because if you remember the text at the beginning that Helen kindly read for us, he goes on straight after this to talk about two people that are quarreling. It's almost like he doesn't give us any information beyond this on on how to... He just says, in this way. In what way are you talking about, Paul? But he actually gives us plenty right here. And the text with these two women in it is all part of it. It's actually part of it. So let's shift the question to... This will come up. What should standing firm look like in a Christian? Uh, And just remember, this isn't about earning, but it is about evidence... Because if we stand in the Lord, it will do something in our lives that is evidential. Okay, so it's not about earning, but it is about evidence. Now, if the last point was the key, then these things are things that are being unlocked. They're the doors that faith unlocks, that in the Lord unlocks. I.e., you've got to have the right key. Faith in Jesus Christ. And this stuff is what faith enables and activates. Listen, salvation comes by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But James says that it is active or living. If it's active or living faith, it will produce good works. In fact, he says it's stronger. He says faith without works is dead. He's not saying that the works make the faith and earn the salvation, but when we have faith in Christ and we receive salvation, we receive his Holy Spirit, then that will do something in us. And these, which Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, are good works that are prepared for us in advance. Believer, if you know Jesus Christ, there are good works prepared for you in him. But you don't have to fret or stress. You have to wait upon the Lord and let him renew your strength and guide your way. So what do we see pointed out here when Paul says in this way? There's four quick things. The first is to see each other with affection. You look at Paul's affection, it's abundant throughout the whole of Philippians. But you see here, he calls them dear friends. He doesn't call everyone dear friends. He calls them dear friends. That's affectionate. He calls them brothers and sisters whom I long for. Like some of us have brothers and sisters we don't long for. We'll see them at Christmas or weddings or whatever. We we don't love. My brothers and sisters, I love you. (laughs) If you are listening to this, not that you would. I love you. (laughs) 
I have so many. <laughs> in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, he says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Like, we are not behaving like believers if we miss that. Honestly, I, I find little uglier than a Christian standing strong but on the wrong point or in the wrong way. The damage this does to hearts and lives, the damage this does to witness and kingdom, the damage to be stubborn and angry and loud and shouty is not how Jesus behaved. Even when Jesus rebuked people, he did it with compassion and love. And he was straight to the point. And by the way, Jesus was full of grace and truth. We are receiving grace and standing on his truth. And it affects the whole body. And listen, often I see this, the most common place I see this kind of ugly type of Christianity is online. It's on Facebook or X or whatever. It's ugly. It's easy to sit at your keyboard and pump out some statement. Uh, and I'm sure many of them want to defend the gospel, defend God. You don't need to defend a lion. You need to let the lion roar. And I've seen it in infighting in churches. It splits churches, it breaks families. And, and I've seen it happen between churches, churches that will write each other off. I tell you, I will find common ground in the kingdom with any church that believes that Jesus is the son of God who is fully God and fully man. I will unite with any church that says salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I will unite with that. Whether they believe that women should stand behind the pulpit, whether they baptize kids or adults, these things are important to me. But Jesus is the central importance. If, if anyone denies Jesus' deity or his humanity, then no deal. But we've got to be at least loving towards churches that disagree or see something differently to us. We have to be for the kingdom. Because uh, Christians can be cold and callous and unloving. Listen, Christians can be worse than woke. And what I mean here is, like, we hear a lot of critique about woke and things like that. And I, I'm not going to say it's not a big problem because I think it is. Because it's about rejecting or ignoring the truth. But, Christian, the truth is, Jesus said, by this will people know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Not by how obstinately you can stand on a theological point, but how much you love. And sometimes woke people get stuck in a self-righteous echo chamber. They only listen to voices that they agree with. Don't we do the same? Can we not reflect that onto ourselves? They fail to love or show compassion or fail to seek understanding. Do we not do that as well? You know, it's hard, but believers act in similar ways. I've written down sometimes, but I probably mean often. I know I have. Uh, and listen, I know 
it would be naive to think that we're not going to clash at times. Look at the number of personalities and characters and demographics in this room. We're not going to agree on everything. We're going to annoy each other at times. We're going to offend each other at times. We're going to really, really not like where each other's coming from at times. Sometimes we'll do it deliberately. Most of the time we'll do it without even realizing what we're doing. How do we deal with this? Well, this is what's important because we're meant to reconcile differences and disagreements in Christ Jesus. As much as depends upon you. So if you're thinking, well, I would get over this if only that person would sort themselves out and come and say sorry. No, no, that's not what scripture tells us. The scripture tells us as much as depends upon you. The, the weight is upon you to reconcile. Or at least to say, Lord, help me to reconcile. The weight is on you. And a great example in this text is Euodia and Syntyche. I know I've pronounced them differently to Helen, but I've got no clue. I'm just going over uh, David Suchet's thing, you know. He's... <laughs> I don't know, they're weird names, I don't understand them, but you idea in sympathy. Um, Paul says, I plead with them, I plead with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so there's a warning in these two of what it looks like to stand strong but wrong. They're in disagreement, they're in contention. And we don't know what it is that these two are at it about, but we all know, we've all seen it in our lives and in our churches. And the thing is, it was disrupting and damaging not only them and their witness, but also the witness of the whole church. So much so that Paul had to raise it and say, stop doing this, please. It's hurting you, it's hurting people. And disagreement and contention comes from pride and the pursuit of self-interest. Standing in our own strength or in our own merit Listen, please don't burn down somebody else's character or reputation when you're offended or annoyed by them. Like, or when you're convinced that they're in the wrong. Don't brood. It's not a good look for a Christian. Don't gossip. Paul lists gossip with some pretty horrific things. It's actually scarily easy to stand wrong while thinking that we're standing strong. I mean, I'm stubborn. Like, I, I have to remind myself that Jess is always right. But when, <laughs> when I make her a cup of tea uh, and I take my cup and hers out, I always put hers in my right hand because Jess is always right. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10 says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There's a warning here. And Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Look, if you're struggling to show affection, you've got to ask, is it me? You've got to ask. So see each other with affection. And then related to this, seek to work together joyfully. Joyfully is the operative word here. Seek to work together. Remember, Paul talks about co-workers in this, partners in the kingdom, partners. He calls them my joy, okay? Joyfully, he says, be of the same mind. So there is great joy in coming together in partnership, in, in unity, okay? 
We stand well when we help each other to stand strong. Not begrudgingly, but joyfully. So important. Oh, all right, I'll help you. (laughs) Oh, you're a pain in my backside, but I'm just, yeah, for the kingdom. There's a common purpose that we have, and it is the good news about Jesus Christ and his power to transform lives. If church is about you and about your needs being met, or your itch being scratched, or your skills or gifts being recognized or affirmed, you are not working in partnership or co-laboring because you've made it about you. And I've done this many times myself. If I see my role as a job, or as a career, or a ladder that I climb, or a salary, then I'm not co-laboring, I am self-serving. And that doesn't just apply to pastors, to ministers, it applies to all of us, all of our jobs, all of our employments. If we see that as for me, Even actually, if we see that as for my family. Now, I'm not saying that it is wrong to deliberately earn a wage and look after your family. And I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy the fruit that comes from your labor. I'm not saying that. But as Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all of your hearts as working for the Lord. Work in Tesco's for the Lord. Work in your accountancy firm for the Lord. Work in your college or school for the Lord. Work in your recruitment agency for the Lord. Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You know, your salary is payment, it's not a reward. But in Christ, you have a reward headed your way. And that's worth far more than your entire life's accumulation. So seek to work together joyfully for the Lord. Third thing, pursue what is really worthwhile. Paul says, my crown. He refers to the Philippians, his joy and his crown. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Whatever crown you pursue, make sure it's one that's worthwhile. Make sure it's one that's lasting. Make sure it's one that's going to stand the test of eternity. Because anything that we build out of our own merits will only last for so long. But everything we build upon Christ will be a crown on our heads for eternity. And we'll even take those crowns and we'll cast them down before him because we recognize how much more wonderful he still is even when we think we've received everything. So what is really worthwhile? What is really worth investing your time and your resources and your love in? For Paul, it's the church. It's people. Not the building, couldn't give two hoots about buildings, but it's about the people and it's about the kingdom, as in expanding it 
evangelism. These are things that for Paul are the crown that will stand the test of eternity. And if we think the gospel is worthwhile, and by the way, it's either fully worthwhile or it's not worth it at all. But if we think the gospel is worthwhile, then the love of Christ compels us towards each other. And what will matter in eternity isn't how many promotions or cars or trophies we have, but how we are with people. In as much as you've done it for the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So how we come together as a family and as community, invested in each other, not just showing up, but invested in each other, engaged with each other. So let me encourage you, love wholeheartedly, joyfully, and give generously, joyfully, and serve faithfully, joyfully, and commit to each other fully, joyfully. And the final point is this, get the right focus, get the right perspective. And we're going to circle back to this because Paul really addresses this very, very clearly in the coming weeks, in the coming text. But, but here, it is in the text today. Where is it? it well, it's in the therefore, the very first word that we read today, therefore. And whenever we see the word therefore, we have to ask the question, what's it there for? Because it's linking to some thought that's already happened. So Paul's saying, therefore, let's look back up. It's not going to come on the screen, but Philippians 3, 19 to 21, he says, their mind, talking about worldly, earthly people, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've prayed for two people already this morning who, who have a body that we, they would say it's a lowly body. The reason I prayed is because their body isn't working right. It's sick or it's hurting. But he is the one who's going to transform that lowly body into a glorious body. Like this is ahead of us. It's fantastic news. And so what Paul mentions here in the therefore for the focus and perspective that is right for us is that we are citizens of heaven. We carry a different passport. And with that passport, there are different rights and different benefits that we have as citizens of that kingdom. And that kingdom will outlast every kingdom. You know, if you have a passport and, and then that country gets taken over by a coup or something like that, your passport is worthless. But our passport in the heavenly places will always have value. And he says, we're eagerly awaiting. Are you eagerly awaiting Jesus? Or are you doing life? Eagerly await him. He's coming. He promised he's coming. And he will be good for his promise. However dark it gets, the light is coming. However long the night, the morning is coming. The morning star will rise with healing in his wings. He's coming. And he's going to finish what he started in you 
and in me and in this world. And he is transforming us actively from lowly to glorious. Wonderful news. That is good perspective, church, to have. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, says Paul in Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who transforms? He does. How do we get transformed? We go to the Lord, in the Lord, wait upon the Lord. That is how we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The most dangerous focus is over-focus on ourself. It's a trap. It pulls us in so easily. We become the center of our world and everything else orbits around us and it happens so easily. It's the most dangerous place to be. And we'll never really understand the gospel whilst thinking that it's essentially about us. It's not about our hopes, our dreams, our achievements, our best life now. It is about a righteous saviour who died to rescue a sinful humanity, to place his righteousness upon us so that we come not in our own merit but in his. What have we got that's worthwhile? Nothing. And yet we have such value at the same time because he loves us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. The gospel does transform our dreams and our ambitions and our situations, but it's about him and his transforming power. So let's fix our eyes on Christ and his transformative power. Now, I'm really bringing this in now. I'm in the final landing pattern, which Eddie will know well. (laughs) Hebrews 12 says this, let us throw off everything that hinders. You know, most of the stuff that hinders is us. Uh, And the sin that so easily entangles. So please, though sin is shameful, don't be ashamed because Jesus has come to set you free from it. Don't be ashamed to call it out to each other because there's power in that, in the healing. And, And Paul goes on, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and finisher, the one who began a good work in us, who will bring it to completion. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Consider him so that you may stand firm in the Lord in this way. He sets us free from exhausting self-justification and self-satisfaction. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ says free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again to the yoke of slavery. This is about ending on our feet. So let me encourage us to do that today. Let's stand together now. How are you standing? Are you standing strong or wrong? Go back to Philippians 1. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together, not striving against each other, 
but striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Not reliant on our own strength. Where are you reliant on your strength? Not reliant on others' praise. Where are you depending on others to compliment and affirm you? Not belligerent, not arrogant, not dominant, but submissive, surrendered, humble, joyful, confident, and expectant. And so here we are, we wait and we stand seeking Jesus and make room for him in our lives. Don't give up. He's coming. And as I close, I'm going to read this benediction over you. And then we'll just spend some time in his presence, just reflecting and worshipping. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 to 17. Receive this, church. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us an eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. In Jesus' name, amen.